Good evening, and welcome to this week's broadcast of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. We just had our premiere broadcast last week, and now we're off and running. I'm Dustin Planholt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie. Yet when you think about your own story, the most important thing is to consider what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? Now here with me in the Austin Carlisle studio in Baltimore, Maryland, are two of our favorite contributors to the show, Dr. Olga Heron and Oren Stewart. I'd also like to thank Melinda Davis, executive producer at Up To Me Radio, for giving the Life's Tough community an opportunity to share our life stories with you, our amazing audience. Chance Kelly is an actor and writer, and just a short time from now, he will be our special guest. You may associate Chance with his roles as Colonel Stephen Godfather Ferrando in HBO's Generational Kill, Mitchell Loeb in Fringe on Fox, or Charlie Hugo on Law & Order. Chance is also a former amateur boxer who's had success in the ring. He's been a busy guy over the years. What you may not know is that Chance is the guiding force for the Legends Sports Club, a nonprofit youth sports organization that's all about character building, getting kids off the streets, having those kids mentor younger kids, and providing an environment in which kids can become better young adults. The organization that Chance has established, one that invests in generating positive outcomes for at-risk kids, really strikes a chord with me, especially this week. Let me tell you about that. Just a few days ago, I was in California. I went to Rainbow. California, the small, isolated community in Southern California where my sister Tennille and I lived when we were small kids. Most of our time there, we lived with our father. When I was two and Tennille was about four, our mother was no longer there. Soon after, in 1986, she began a new life in Maryland, 2,600 miles away from Rainbow, Maryland, Rainbow, California. A year later, in July 1987, my mother gave birth to a baby boy. She and her husband told people who knew them in Maryland that this was her first baby. Even the pastor who married them knew nothing about Tennille and me. That was in July. Meanwhile, back in California, jump ahead three months to October, Thursday, October 15th, 1987 to be exact, almost two months to the day after I turned four. On that day, I was excited to take a ride with my father, Robbie in his truck. He had to run an errand. I was in the front seat. We got on the freeway and within minutes everything changed. A police officer stopped our truck because of a suspicious looking license plate. The police officer said he'd have to take Robbie in. Right then, once he discovered an outstanding ticket or some type of charge that Robbie had incurred. Robbie said, no thanks, and peeled away up the freeway. Soon, we were the target of a wild police chase involving dozens of police officers. As we went through and around the town of Temecula, California, a little place about 10 minutes north of Rainbow, California. I spoke about this incident last week 
about how the police, after that harrowing police chase, eventually arrested my father at gunpoint, and how I went to the hospital because I ended up with a severe laceration on my tongue when the truck we were in came to a crashing halt. What I didn't get to specifically is how the police also promptly picked up Tennille and took her to a place for abused and neglected kids. It's called Casa de Amparo. After I was eventually released from the hospital, I too was taken to Casa. I remember seeing Tennille. She was so happy to have her brother back with her. The kids were watching a movie and eating popcorn. I couldn't eat the popcorn because of the stitches in my tongue. The ladies who worked there gave me ice cream instead. For the following two years, Casa de Ampara was a home base for Tennille and me. In between our stays at different foster homes when the foster families decided they didn't want us anymore or that we were too much trouble. We'd go back to Casa until we were selected by another foster family. Casa de Amparo was our safe house. It was, as its name means, our home of protection. Returning to Casa de Amparo this past Monday, during my quick trip to California, was an emotional moment for me, as it was when I made a stop at the actual shack in Rainbow, where Tennille and I lived with Robbie. Casa de Amparo now has two locations. The main campus is in San Marcos in San Diego County. When Tennille and I went there, we were at the original and much smaller location in Oceanside, also in San Diego County. At San Marcos, I saw the actual original door from the Oceanside building. It's on display like an artistic artifact, which it is. The door contains three dominant and translucent square panels that span the height of the door. Each panel frames an abstract arrangement of multicolored pieces of stained glass. Beyond the panels, still on the face of the door, are handwritten signatures. I used a blue marker to sign my name, and Tennille's name, with the years we were there. I also wrote, life's tough, you can be tougher. I also met with members of the staff, and I even spoke with a woman who remembered me from 30 years ago. She recalled how I was kidnapped from there in July 1988. My father, Robbie, came home one day to spring me from Casa de Amparo. He had heard how the parents in the previous foster home where I was had been saying some unsavoring things about me. Robbie knew the accusations were untrue. He was willing to risk his parole agreement to get me out of the foster care system before I ended up somewhere else. So he pulled up in a truck, grabbed me off the playground, and we took off. I don't think Tennille was at Casa de Amparo at this time. Robbie and I drove off to a remote, desolate place in the desert, to a place by the name of Awanga. It was a place where he knew a community of people, and where these people would be willing to have us stay with him. My sudden departure from Casa de Ampara occurred on July 27, 1988. Robbie, in his haste and misguided approach to reunite with me, was willing to risk everything to get me back. I think about that, and how my mother, on the other side of the country, said she had no idea where I was or where Tennille was. She even went on the 700 Club on TV and told the host how my father had taken Tennille and me. How could she possibly know where we were? She said the same thing when she spoke at conferences for the wives of Calvary Chapel pastors. It became part of her persona as a speaker at such events. She was the woman whose kids were taken, and now she had not a clue as to where they were. Besides, at that time in July 1987, when Robbie came to break me out of Casa de Amparo, my mother was on the East Coast, 2,600 miles away, looking after her new son, who had his first birthday that month. As it turned out, years later, 
I discovered the existence and name of Casa de Amparo, the place where Tennille and I had spent so much time, the place that we preferred over some of the bad foster home situations that we were in. I said to my mother, Casa de Amparo, that's the place where we were. They were really nice there. Would you like to give something to them? They took care of us. She said it was my father's fault for Tennille and I having to be there. And besides, if someone should contribute, it should be me, not her. In the meantime, she said, why don't you give something to our church? Before we go on, I'd like to again welcome the POI Institute as a new sponsor of this broadcast. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in Cabo St. Lucas, a gorgeous resort town on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. As I mentioned in last week's broadcast, my sister died of an addiction. This is the facility that Tennille Lemoyne Roper should have gone to, one where non-traditional treatment is being used to treat someone that's tried everything. POI offers safe, customized treatments for a gamut of addictions, as well as anxiety, depression, and PTSD. The professional staff at POI Institute is compassionate and experienced. It all makes for the perfect setting for physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. Take the first step toward recovery and call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO or check their website, POIIBOGAINE.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. Now, let's connect with our special guest, Chance Kelly. I know we're looking forward to talking with Chance. And we're also going to ask him some questions from our audience and for him. So, Chance, are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Welcome to the show. <laughs> now, Chance, we've Thank got a number, we've got a number of questions for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Hi, Tans. This is Dr. Olga. It's a pleasure to have you here today. So I read a little bit about your background. Oh, hi. Yeah. (laughs) So I read a little bit about your background, Mm -hmm. and I think the most incredible part of your story is how you were able to overcome your fear of public speaking. It seems to be the beginning of everything um, in terms of your acting career. (laughs) And I think many can relate to that because anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. So how did you overcome those mental limitations with public speaking to begin your acting career? Well, um, you know, I, if you saw me give a school report back in the day, you 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 would be uh, it would be painful to watch. There's a lot of <laughs> like a big beat red head, dry mouth. You can barely hear me. Um, so it's kind of like now. Looking at the floor most <laughs> of the time. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know that I went through all of high school that way. Um, and most, most of, well, pretty much all of college. And, and I don't know, like, I just thought that's how I was, you know, in public speak, any kind of public speaking situation. I mean, they would even get that way, you know, at, at just, you know, out to dinner with a group of people and whatever, what, you know, whatever, you're the doc. I mean, you know what that's all about. Um, but I did at some point, I said, gee, well, there were two things. I was like, well, I'd like for that to not happen anymore but it wasn't so much let me try to cure that i wasn't that forward thinking Hmm. i was also completely unconnected to that saying gee that acting thing Mm -hmm. that looks like a really good way to make money yeah and i'm just looking and watching all these people right you know i'm saying well somebody's making money doing that and i didn't really know anyone in it Mm -hmm. um 
And I, you know, I just graduated college with a degree in English and writing. I kind of thought I was going to be a writer of some kind, but I didn't know what kind. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have great direction. So I, so I, I started kind of talking about acting back somewhere during college. And mm-hmm. I talked to, you know, I'd talk about it to whoever would listen. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting. But I'd never done it. And, and, I, and somebody said, finally, well, well, dude, like, you, you know, you're out of college now. You better do it now or never. Um, and I kind of, I don't know, they kind of, you know, sort of. Yeah, that person definitely. Struck a chord yeah. with me. I, Sounds I, like yeah, that's, that's where the spark came. Point. I yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah, I should probably go do that. And I, I enrolled in this goofy kind of acting class downtown in Manhattan. Because I, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. And I mm-hmm. went to NYU, so I was, I was already in the city. Um, and it was uh, it was just like an out-of-body experience. The first time I stand up in that class and, like, give a monologue, it, it was like going through a volcano. I mean, it was the, all, of the, all of the bad in public speaking, uh, you know, uh, elements that I had experienced in the past came out in, you know, in spades. And, and uh, you know, the teacher, to her credit, recognized it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, but you actually have an interesting sort of, you know, as she called instrument to work with. You just got to get past all that stuff in front of it. Definitely. And, so can you tell and, us? And after doing oh, it one or two it started to come through and I'm saying, whoa, 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 I really, there's something underneath this that really feels great. And um, that's, that's why I stuck with it because through all the pain of it, there was something coming through like a new sensation, a new, hmm. um, like a surge, a new feeling that I had never really felt before because I never did it. You know, guys, I was always the guy, I, I played football, Yeah, I drank mm-hmm. beer, <laughs> I chewed tobacco. That was kind of my thing. I chased girls. You know, that was that was my high school and college years. It, it sounds um, like you found your I sweet spot. Were in the place. Definitely. It, found, yeah. it sounds like you found your sweet spot. This is Oren talking, Chance. I'm sorry. It's a pleasure having you, know, you on with Oren. us, man. I'm doing awesome. It sounds like you found your sweet spot when you um, got a chance to take that class. Like it was your calling. It was like I finally have found. It was like that ha oh, moment. That reward that from reward. overcoming exactly. that fear. Yeah. Yes, Definitely. indeed. It did feel that way, like facing the fear and then having this weird thing underneath me that comes from like right around your belly button and comes up through your chest. Like, yes, indeed. Wow. Oh, there's That's something that you've been hiding in there or on, you know, you, 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 you awakened it or something. Because I, I didn't come from a performance. I didn't come from a family of actors or singers or dancers. I came from a family of people in marketing and people who worked for some banks and people who did, you know, white collar jobs and, and that's fine and, and some tradesmen and cops and stuff and, but nobody in my world was in this business so it seems so foreign to me and that was another reason i was reluctant to even get my toe in it you know you're kind of like an explorer that way yeah yeah definitely i, I was i mean i i had to ask a friend of a friend who had taken some acting classes and done a little bit of acting work for guidance and that, you know, that was my, that was my like lead into the yeah. business it's okay yeah definitely inspiring man i tell you it's amazing sometimes when we never think about actually what we wind up doing in life and like you said in your family and and from the world you initially came from and growing up in nobody was in acting um those inspiring moments 
what what happens still to this day when you think about that first moment when the you know when the uh, opportunity just the stars lined up? Can you remember how that happened and now linking it up with what goes on in your life now? You know the roles that you get now. Um. Well, you know, I, I, you mean the first, the first role I got, or yes. what are we talking about? Yes, I'm sorry, I apologize. The first role, like that very first role when you got, I, um, if you could walk us through it a little bit, like, yeah. like, kind of take us on your, take us I on did, the ride. So I did, so I did this, this stuff with the classes for a couple of years, and I went through a handful of teachers, and I found, I finally, I finally found my who would be my teacher for my life, which her name is Sandra Lee, and she's still with us, and she's, she's uh, not, a, not, not as young as she used to be, and neither am I, but she's still <laughs> hanging in there. We're still doing class together. She's wow. incredible. She's Clint Eastwood's age. And um, I, I was with her in, like, the second year that I started taking classes, and then I started getting some, you know, some theater works. Small stuff in, in, the, in the city, mostly uh, some stuff out in Jersey. What you know, whatever equity, equity showcase kind of gotcha. stuff, yeah. lower tier stuff. Working my way up, and that honestly, that, look, there's different ways to learn to act. The, what worked for me was getting on a stage with you know there might be there might be 400 people in the audience. There might be four, and gotcha. two of them might have come with you. You know, yeah. and but regardless, <laughs> something's at stake. You know, and if you, to, to me, it's it's learning, you know, trial by fire, you know, like, I only learn if there's something really at stake. Mm-hmm. If something bad isn't going to happen, if I screw up, then I generally feel free to screw up, you know. That's a good but point. Those <laughs> plays, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a great yeah, point, you gotta, man. You got to know there's something at stake there. And, and, and there's little, little black box theaters all over New York. We're doing Boy's Life. We did, um... Yeah, Jesus. Definitely motivates you to keep challenging yourself, right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yes. And, and, but that's how I really learned to act. I got out all the, all the cobwebs and all the, all the, all the remaining, you know, butterflies and all that. And, and suddenly I'm like, well, geez, you know, I actually think I could do this a little bit. And the first job I got where I actually got paid on camera to act was America's Most Wanted, of course, playing some douchebag bad guy who beat up his girlfriend and kidnapped her or something like that. <laughs> and we went out to Long Island, and I and I had the I had the Long Island accent down because I have my friend uh, Ricky Stu from Massapequa, not Massapequa, Massapequa Park, and I know about Long Island because I was hanging out with him. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, wow, that's a really good Long Island accent. This guy's pretty good at it. And, yes, um, indeed. Yeah. That was the first. That was the first. Like where I was actually with Chance as a hired actor. You know, so, on so Chance, I, I got a quick um, question for you. When uh, when you're done with Orange, yeah. that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for answering that. Yeah, yeah that was good. Mm-hmm. So Chance, you're a boxer. Tell us a little bit about that, and then tell me, have there ever been a moment where you were done boxing, then you had to go act? Um, and uh, what did your face look like? <laughs> yeah. Well, those are those are interesting questions because the truth is. Well, you know, we, me and my four brothers, my three brothers and my eight cousins who all were in the same town. There were seven of us. There were, there were eight of us in seven years, all in the same tiny high school. We boxed, we fought, we brawl, you know, we played football and stuff. But I never did it competitively. Um, 
until I was actually an actor already, which probably wow. wasn't the best choice. But <laughs> I had I had some training, and then I said, "Well, geez, I really would like to enter the Metro tournament, which is generally in the fall in New York, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the it's sort of like the lead into the Golden Gloves." But mm-hmm. many of the same fighters. It's, it's US. It's USA Boxing, all that. So I started training over at Julio Rivera's gym down on uh, um, East. Oh Christ! It was it was East Twelfth Street, I think, Twelfth and First, way back in the day. And um, he he yeah he said, "Do you want to do the metros?" And I said, mm-hmm. "Okay." You know, I got this other stuff that I do. Hopefully, it won't conflict. Right, right. So, and he, so I got, I got, but I, boxing was like acting for me. Once I oh, got really? in the ring and actually like put on the gloves against another dude who was trained to box and I knocked him down and, and they were like, whoa, <laughs> what have we done? You know, who is this asshole? You yeah. Know? And now, you know, this is their big, this is their big contender. And I, I remember his name was Kenny. We became really good friends. I knocked him down with a straight right, like first time I ever sparred. Oh man, that felt and I'm good. Like, Fun, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, I mean, you grow up and you get in fights, you get in trouble. Now you're in the ring and they're like crazing you. Oh, you did that For well. Your own. You know, that good. Yeah. I mean, when I watched yeah. you take on Ray Donovan, yeah. I went, "Wow, he really beat up Ray Donovan." <laughs> well, it's because, well, we have ain't a boxer. Oh, <laughs> but. No, he's a good guy. Good guy. But, That's but, good. Uh, yeah, I know. Great, great guy. Now, I was going to ask you, um, with boxing, you know, can you think of things when you were in the ring, and like you said, you kind of started it later, how has that helped you in your acting career? Yeah, man, there's no doubt. And I talked to a lot of actors about this, dudes who were like action actors like me, you know, dudes who have to, you know, do the fights and, you know, rough it up a little bit. It's, and it's not just that. But it's the conviction with gotcha. which you do or say something as an mm-hmm. actor or a boxer. It's not that different. Yeah. You know, you got to know, you know what the best thing about being a boxer is? There's nobody else in there that's D- going to help you beat that guy. One-on-one, yes. you. And that's acting, too, as far as I'm concerned. You know, acting is an ensemble, generally. Yeah. You know, generally, mm-hmm. as other actor, you act with another actor or actress or ten other actors, not just if you're on stage. There's a lot. But... You got to do your thing. It's like driving on a highway. You got to right? own it. You got to stay in the lane you're in. Yeah, you can't hover over the over the, the double yellow. You know, you got to slow down when the guy in front of you slows, slows down. You got to speed up when it's time to get on the on ramp and all that. To me, boxing was the best. I'm not going to say like anybody who wants to be an actor should go box. Should go by. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. I, I would have thought like Krav Maga or Muay Thai or. Well, what, all that, no, it's all good. All that stuff is good. I just focused, and I did karate before I did boxing did a little bit. It was it was awesome, but I never competed. Boxing, yeah. I got in a couple of tourneys, and I, you know, competed as an amateur boxer. And it was, there was nothing, there was nothing in my life like that to this day. If I, if I could go back a couple things that would change is I would start boxing when I was 12 years old. Wow. Do you think, do you think you would have went into that as a profession, possibly, if you had done that? Well, 
Hard to say. If I hadn't happened upon acting, gotcha. if I hadn't made $5 acting, but as soon as I'm making money acting, and the he game changed. punched in the face of an amateur. <laughs> well, what about uh, pretty, piano lessons? <laughs> we said it was a good, it was an easy <laughs> decision, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard uh, you guys, <laughs> you grew up in the house uh, learning how to play piano. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was an option. <laughs> it was an option. Did you take that there option? No piano. Chance. There's a lot of other yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. So, a question. Yeah. So, of of all the people you've been able to work with in Hollywood, has there been someone that stood out that somebody that you're learning from personally? Yeah. Let me tell you something. If if if, if we can model ourselves after one person in this business, well, let, let, let me say the men. I want to model after one person. Look at Clint Eastwood. Watch how he operates. Watch how courteous and professional he is. And watch how he gets it done. Wow. If wow. there needs yeah. more people like him. And he's he's up there. You know, he ain't going to be around forever. But sometimes you think he is because he's 80. Holy crap. He's 89 this year, I think. And he just, I think he just started his next movie. Um, mm-hmm. But his style. I mean, yeah, I keep mine. The guy's been in the business six decades, right? He's been actively working six decades. So he's also a living museum, I mean, Mm -hmm. of sorts. And he, when I met him, no, I was, I was, no, I was like a hired gun. I worked two days on his set on American Sniper. And, but just the whole way he does it is so old school, stripped down, no BS. Here's how I got that job. My, we have what we sometimes call self-tapes. You know what that is? You know when you self-tape? No, no. not really. So if, you don't go yes, at, okay. if you don't go into the audition, a lot of times they'll ask you, well, can Chance self-tape for this show, for this role? That means go get a tape of yourself, whether you do it in the basement gotcha. or you do it at a, at a, at a studio that you pay 100 bucks to do it or a friend does it. You create your tape, and with iMovie and stuff today, you can you, you can, can do it you on know, your own. You can yeah. put together a pretty decent audition tape in a couple hours. Mm-hmm. But so so he, I'm in New York. I guess they were I don't know if they weren't casting in New York, or they were, and I just missed it. But my agent's <laughs> like, "Can you put yourself on tape?" This is for Clint Eastwood's next thing. It's called American Sniper, and I knew about Chris Kyle and all that. And I said, "Sure." They you know, go down in my basement. And at this point, I'm doing it by myself, literally. I, I run the camera. I say the lines to, to nobody. Then I put it on iMovie, and I say the other person's lines. I double them in. I do all that. You know, I package it up. I put my name on I send it. I email it to my, man, my agent. I forget about it. That was probably, that was probably like January or February 2014. Uh, May... <laughs> come back to me and go, oh, you got that Clint Eastwood role. Wow. Now, it never works like that. It's always, okay, on a big budget like that, it's $200 million. On that, wow. it's always this big song and dance, especially for me, because I'm not a big star. I'm not a big name. I've been in a lot of stuff, and I'm a big guy, but I'm not a big star, okay? So they'll want to bring me in and make sure that, like, I'm not drooling, uh, you know, on somebody or on myself. They want to make sure that he's not crazy. He's not, you know, there's all these safety things they want to do. Clint didn't do any of that. Clint was like, hired me off the reel, off the tape. Wow. 
That's yeah. amazing. It, it's unheard of. It never happens like that. That's a meant to be role. Definitely. You know, generally they'll bring you into a New York office and say, okay, now you could repeat those lines and do this and come back next Wednesday. You know, it's, it's a lot of that crap. You know? Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so he hires me off that. I go to shoot the thing. I show up at set and there's, you know, over there hanging with Bradley Cooper, shooting, shooting, you know, shooting the breeze. And I'm like, oh, Christ, I'm like the new guy. I'm like, yeah, it's almost <laughs> always the way it is. All of a sudden, the dude comes, comes striding all the way across. He, hold, he goes, hold on, this is a Bradley Cooper. Hold on one second. Comes striding across set, across this this um, army base set, right to me, eye to eye. James, I'm so happy. Thank you so much for being here. Shake my hand, Let me tell you, something. I was like a little girl. I I don't get starstruck. I've worked with some big, big, big time people. The dude buckled my knees. I was like, I was like, are you kidding me, Clint? Holy crap. And and from that moment, he had me. I would have done anything, you know, and 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 he just it's genuine. It's not bullshit. Yeah. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah. You, you can get away. 18, uh, 18, 18 and over. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, can, we can up it if you need us to. <laughs> yeah. So, Chance. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not a show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really him. He's old school, legit. Definitely. Would you say, uh, Chance, would you say that was the role when you knew that you picked the right profession? I mean, that was one of those moments, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Hey, Chance. There, there was another role that, yeah. Hey, Chance, uh, your family, do they treat you any differently now that you're kind of a big deal? (laughs) (laughs) I guess we can, you know, assume. Yeah, they give me all sorts of crap. Um, uh, I guess the the answer to that is no, other than I do get get an inordinate level of crap associated with, you know, the fact that I am an actor, I guess. (laughs) We have fun. So, uh, Chance, um, who would you say is the toughest person you know? You've met a lot of really tough people, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, in or out of business, you mean? Any, anywhere in life. Anywhere? Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you a couple. Um, you know, my grandparents' generation was a tough generation. And they're different, different type, types of tough. You know, and they all went, they were all in depression and went through the depression, survived the depression. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I just know that I didn't know my mom's father because he died when I was really young, but I knew mm-hmm. her mom and I knew my dad's parents mm-hmm. and they were different level. They were different kind of people. They were tough in their own structured, logist, logical, rational way, you know, and, um, I think that entire generation of people, the World War II generation and, and before, was just um, people that had to be tougher. Mm-hmm. You had no choice. And, and today, yeah, we there are so many whiners out there today. It, it's like, are you kidding me? Somebody so freaks out when their Wi-Fi mm-hmm. goes down. It's like, I tell people, guys, I went to college. I graduated college and never had a cell phone or a computer. And these kids today look at me like I'm from outer space. I'm like, that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just calm down, you know. <laughs> but there, 
there's a, there's another group of guys that I have been fortunate enough to come to meet in, in this business. And, and again, uh, Oren, you, you said, you know, when did I decide that this was the right business for me? It, yeah. That kind of thing happened a few times. And one of them was, you know, way back, right when I started di- deciding or toying with acting and sort of was taking the classes and, oh, maybe I will actually do that. We're talking early 90s, early 90s. I had I had also been like, well, no, I, I should go in the service. I'm you know I'm done with school now. I should go into the service and do my you know do my you know do my stint, do my do three years, or whatever, yeah. and explore that. So I'm 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 in the armory on Park Avenue and the hell was it? I don't know, the 60, 64, Where the hell was it? I don't mean it's Lex. I don't know. And went in the armory. I was like, all right. So if I join. What is what? What are the what the deal? What do I got to do? And he's going through the whole thing with me. Why well, you come in with rank and do this? And I remember leaving there like, all right, I could join the army now if I want, but that would mean I probably would have to put this acting thing on hold. Anyway, it was a conscious decision. I chose acting instead of going into the military. I mean, so, I remember the actual moment when I made that decision. Wow! So yeah. powerful. Decision. There's always been sort of a. Not not a regret, but again, if there's one of the few things I could change, I would probably go back and I would probably either do the military before college or right after and then go into the acting, studying of acting. Um, gotcha. Just what could have I been. Do, yeah. Like, I don't regret, I don't say I'm living with regret, but yeah. I do regret not having actually done military service. Um, let me yeah. say wow. it that way. So... That's powerful. Once I started to get these roles, I, it's just people are like, wait, you weren't in the service? I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to claim to have yeah. that because yeah, I didn't do good. it. That's good, yeah. But I do seem like I was in the service. You do those roles mm-hmm. extremely yeah. well. You do. You really, you, I, we have to give you props. You do, yeah, you do those roles so. extremely well. Go I ahead. I read somewhere <laughs> that they named you an honorary Marine. Yes. They did. They did. Yes. Group, uh, a, a detachment out in Jersey that they, they, they gave me a whole ceremony and everything. I was like, guys, this is that must have been humbling. Totally undeserved. It's definitely it's in your blood. Extremely humbling. And extremely <laughs> flattering. But yeah. I, I'll tell you this: there is no doubt that I see eye to eye with those dudes. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and the ladies and you know, in uniform, cops, colonels, you know, all that stuff. Any serviceman, any any person, uh, military or police. You know, law enforcement in uniform. There's just there's a mentality about it. There's a mindset about it. I'm not going to say I understand it completely, but mm-hmm. I definitely see eye to eye with it. And I have what what I was getting to was I have become friends with so many military, you know, army, army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, cops, firemen, tough um, people, FBI, CIA, yeah. Those and tough guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are some tough guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. It sounds like with yeah, the roles the that you've had. We, yeah. I'm sorry. I was saying it sounds like with Go the ahead. roles that you've had, you've been able to actually still um, fulfill your, your love for um, the military. It sounds like you've been able to kind of do both. Well, I, I mean, you know, granted, 
I'm not, yeah, I, I, I got to pretend. I got to play <laughs> Army Man without actually having to go through basic training. Definitely. So, but, Chance, like, I know that yeah, you've... Those, those two are just some tough dudes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so, I know that you just spoke about mentality. And so, I know that through these roles, you've had to immerse yourself in some pretty dark places. So, how do you handle that to maintain your personal identity and strength through that? And how do you overcome that to separate and move on after those roles are done? Yeah, I play, my, my forte is cops, coaches, colonels, and criminals, but with un, unfortunately with a special concentration on psychopaths and scumbags. And that, that was lovely. never my choice, but that's just yeah. the way it went. Well, well, well that's good, because yeah. I, I got a question so, that just came in from your brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to leave that one to the end. Hopefully we'll run out of time. But when I play the real scumbags, I don't know. When I was younger, I liked doing it. I, I didn't like it, but I tolerated it better. Mm-hmm. As I get older and I am a father and a husband and I'm trying to be a you know upstanding citizen and all that, I don't want to play those really, really nasty roles anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, it hurts. It physically hurts. I, one of the last ones I did was Banshee. I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone knows that show, but it was on Cinemax. Mm-hmm. And I played this guy. And he was such a scum. I mean, he was he was a a, a, a real bad dude. He was a world class low life, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it was you know with with, with racism and everything, and her violence, and it it really hurt to play that guy. And and I had to go in between takes and go up to the, you know, the actors that I was being you know in the scene antagonistic with and that with, and I had to like give them a hug and say, look, I. I'm sorry that I have to say these lines to you. And they would laugh usually. Um, but they would also say, it's really weird hearing you say that because you're so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely. Like, I'm sorry. I don't yeah. even like embodying that person. Anymore. Yeah, because you can imagine yourself being the kind of person, how that takes a toll yeah, on a human being, place. on your soul, on yeah. your spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of energy, man. It's a lot of bad energy. Mm-hmm. So, Chance, uh, top five movies of all time. Uh, Goonies is in mine, so I'm hoping you're uh, going to say mine you as well. Like Goonies as well. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I mean, look, this, this list you have to take with a grain of salt because this is just, I don't know. There's there's so much. I'm just going to tell you five of my favorites. Okay, right? of course, it's perfect. Um, you know, they're not. This is not the best five movies in the world. Okay. But I'm going to give you my. I keep a list. That's why I had to put you on speaker. I actually keep a list, and it changes from time to time. So the top five. You want the top five or the top ten? Top ten. Hey, top ten. Top ten. Please. And then top add an eleventh as well if you could. <laughs> Goonies. You want 11? Yeah, give me. If 11th is 11. Goonies. Let's do 11. Goonies. <laughs> All right. 11 is The Exorcist. I would agree. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. 10 is Cool Hand Luke. That's a good ah, one. That was a really good one. How many eggs can you eat, Dustin? How many eggs? <laughs> Jeez, I, I don't know. Um, You're not, you didn't see Cool Hand Luke? Yeah, of course I did. I don't know. What about yourself? So how many eggs can you eat, Chance? <laughs> You need 58. Oh, man. All right. Oh, Nine, man. the conversation. Who's seen the conversation? I have not, I have not actually. Seen. Were you in that one? No, God, no. I wasn't born yet. But, <laughs> oh. well, I wasn't. We'll, yeah, we'll have to jot that one down. Sleeper, this was the greatest sleeper of all time. 
directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Okay, the cast is incredible. You wouldn't believe the cast when you see it. Um, but just look it up, check was, it out. Was that with Gene Hackman? It's an incredible. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Yeah, it's and it's. I think gotcha. might be his best role. Okay. Okay, might, I can remember that. Then. Yeah. Um, incredible cast, incredible movie. A little, little cerebral, I think. It suffered at the box office because it was a little slow, but God, it's an incredible movie. Nothing wrong with um, that. <laughs> yeah. Eight is Rocky. Mm, oh, yeah. Great one. Seven is Rear Window. Rear Window. Who, 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 who hasn't seen Rear Window? I Admit have not. I have not Come saw on. it. I, I'm not familiar. All right. You would Olga, you never seen it? I have not. No, these, this list is God, great. Why didn't you ask me, Chance? Yeah. Why don't you say, hey, oh, Dustin, wow, have you ever seen it? Of course. I mean, Dustin, who hasn't? did you see it? No, I haven't. I've seen it on IMDb. I, I, I've missed it as Wait, well. you've never seen it either? No, I've no. missed it as well. You guys got to watch your window. No, listen to me. I have it's, a whole list now. You've got too much time on your hands. I have two little kids. No, 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 no. No, Hitchcock. Now my papers on Hitchcock. I and I'm a Hitchcock, I'm a Hitchcock fan. Share Hitchcock. I'm sorry, I missed that one. <laughs> you were a Hitchcock fan. I am you a Hitchcock fan. Watch Rear Window. Okay? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Incredible movie. All shot at Paramount, by the way. On the big lot out in Paramount. I think we're at seven now. Number, yeah. number six is Panda Mercy. Yeah. No one here has any of you seen Tender Mercy? Tender Mercy. Tender Mercy. You're giving us quite the list, you're giving right? us some you're giving us some good ones to have to go back and watch. <laughs> if you love Duval, you gotta watch well, you gotta watch Tender Mercy either way. But um Duval is God, so I watch anything he's in, but that's one of his best movies. Make um, a note of that. All right. I added the, the most recent addition to this list is the Darkest Hour. Gary Oldman is is, is is just one of those guys. He's incredible, and I'm a big, you know, I'm a big, big Churchill fan. So, um, mm-hmm. if you didn't see the Darkest Hour, man, you got to get out there. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I, I did see that. Great movie. That it was good. Really yeah. Good. Yeah. Great. Four is It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, that's awesome. I love that one. There yeah. you go. Classic, isn't it? Very classic. It's it's beautiful. I reference Wonderful Life in everything I write. I reference it. Wow. It's an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaws is three. Jaws. I, I never go back two. in the ocean because of that movie, by the way. Yeah, you see, you're too young to have seen it in the theater, right? Uh, was it? How scary was it in the theater? I actually Dude, did was, see it in the theater. Yeah, that changed your life, right? It, it sure did. If you were a human and you had been in the ocean. And you saw that in the theater, that changed your life. I'm a 40-plus-year-old man that has fear of going in the oceans because of that movie, so I would agree. You and me both, buddy. Um, number two is To Kill a Mockingbird. I can watch that. Well. I can just watch that on an infinite loop, that movie. I get Gregory Peck. That's, that's a classic. Yes, indeed. Every leading man should be like Gregory Peck, you know, in Same. that movie. And, and by the way, who else is in that? Who shows up at the end? Uh, Come on. Enlighten us, Chance. Come on. <laughs> Duval, man. Duval, okay. Oh, definitely not the cinephiles <laughs> that, that you are. <laughs> yes, indeed. You are a student as well. And, top, yeah, and number one, 
the Godfather. Not Godfather 2. The first one. Definitely not Godfather 3. Only the Godfather. Number one. Yes, number one. Number one. That is the original. Sorry to bore you with that. No, you did not bore us. You gave us some homework. Definitely. (laughs) All right, Chance. So now we want to know a little bit more about the club that you're supporting. Uh, Thank you for helping uh, us and our listeners get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, We'd like to know more about the kids that you're helping and ways that our audience can help support them. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, it's a it's a very much of a grassroots thing. And it came out of uh, just a straight need. Um, we live in New Rochelle, New York, and New Row is an incredible, um, eclectic, and inimitable place that has people from all demographics. Um, so incredibly you know, from diverse. Very high end, like very diverse, very. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Socially diverse and economically diverse people in these beautiful Tudor mansions up up in the East, in the uh, Beachmont area, um, and then you got folks, kids in the projects, and there's never enough youth sports going on, um, and they, they're generally very expensive. And you know, we live right next to Scarsdale and other places like Bronx and stuff, and you know, you got kid people in that town where. Generally, the families can afford to pay six, seven, eight hundred bucks for a, a travel team, or mm-hmm. you know, a thousand bucks to be on a lacrosse travel team, or you know, a hoops, or an AAU, or zero gravity. You know, they ask for eight hundred bucks in the beginning of the season. But guess what? I looked around, and the kids that my son's going to school with, they can't afford any of that. None of that. Yeah. They, they, there is no money for that. You know, yeah. and so. We formed this, this group, The Legends, um, basically out of that need. We play hoops because, you know what, hoops is, hoops is probably the most economical sport. You know, you got five kids on a quarter at a time. You feel the team of ten. Um, you find a place to play, and you go do it. And we, we raise all our own money. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy raising money. It gets, it's, it's, a ta- it's a task every year. Every season, it's not like we have oodles of money coming in. We are a nonprofit, but we haven't gotten the big donations from people. Sometimes we get you know, a little corporate donation here or there, but it's 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 the kids' fundraise, and that's by design. I take them out. We set up in front of a couple of places downtown. South Pizza is one of our South and New Road, not South and American. South <laughs> Two. And we set up a table. We go, hey, Sal, is it cool if we set up here, you know, Saturday morning? Oh, yeah, come on, guys. He gives us, like, he'll give us a pizza, and the kids put on their jersey, and they walk around, and I tell them, look, guys, you got to be professional. you got to be courteous. you got to be polite. You say thank you. You say please. And, they, you know, we carry around a big jug, and we sell chocolates, and we sell some, you know, we designed our own shooting shirts. We try to sell those. And, you know, the kids. The kids pay for their season, and, and let me tell you something. We don't get any break from most of these organizations. We play zero gravity usually in mm. the uh, in the spring. It's expensive, man. I mean, I, I can talk them down a little bit, but it's expensive. But these kids, our kids, get to go out. We have beautiful uniforms that my friend designed, and um, we coach them. We're tough with them. We make them. We make them. You know, practice. We make them train. Um, but as I was telling you, Dustin. The criteria is about character yeah. and character building and, and teaching lessons. That mentorship. In a place like Westchester County, yeah, you're going to get all this. You're going to get all this 
there's plenty of moms and dads that, that they're just focused on their kid being the next whatever, LeBron James mm. or, you know, name it, you know, um, they're the great, you know, my kid's going to play pro baseball. Well, no, he's not. But, okay, if you want to do that, my opinion is you're missing a lot, you know, the real intrinsic value of your sports, which is to build character and teach lessons and learn lessons, right? Yeah. If the kid ends up getting some money to go to college, you know, partial scholarship even, great. That, that's mm-hmm. great. But don't, don't, don't pass up what you, the real value of your sports along the way. And that's just, that's how we try to run the legend. We've had um, teams for about, I think we've been eight, eight, eight years now. And we've had, oh, um, you know, a handful of teams. We, we won the zero gravity uh, con- um, competition up in Boston nice. five years ago, I think four years ago. Yeah. So we do put out competitive teams, um, but we, it, it's, just, it's about that first and foremost. So, Chance, you're grooming future leaders. I, I think, well, well, you think you know that, you are. Um, leaders don't create more followers. They create more leaders. Uh, can you tell us, last question for the show, uh, what, would, what would you like to tell uh, the, the future leaders of, of this country or, or around the world? The way that I look at life's tough is that we're creating ambassadors, torchbearers, people that are going to shine brighter because they've come to the place of saying life's tough, but you can be tougher. Would you tell us? Final thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, well, look, man, I think the name of your show is a good name because, look, that, that's what America is founded on. America wasn't founded on a bunch of people sitting around, you know, on Wi-Fi playing, playing Fortnite. Right. You know, America was founded on people busting their asses life, by life and limb, you know, because their lives depended on it. And... We, we, we made our, our we wrote our, our constitution and made our laws by necessity, you know, so that we could live and we couldn't wouldn't be oppressed by a king and queen, you know, across the Atlantic. I mean, leaders are made by people who are willing to work, and I think any successful person in in the world today or three hundred years ago has to understand the value of hard work and discipline. And self-reliance, and those are all good values, and um, that's that's what a leader needs, and you need to understand that. Well, Chance, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Life's tough, but Chance Kelly is tougher. Uh, he can he can kick my butt. Thank you, Chance, for tuning in. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you so thank much, you man. Much, we really Chance. appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Lovely to have nice you. To thank yes, you. thanks for being our ambassador, mm-hmm. Chance. Okay, thank you. All. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you. Well, the stories are as varied as the people who tell them. Each time I hear someone's personal account like Chance, I do not frame it as something that was more horrible than my own story or or something that was not as bad as what I went through. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience to the person who lived it. That story, it can be just as devastating as any other, or it can be as beautiful as the best you've ever had. I ask you to use your stories to give others hope. I met someone last week in California by the name of Sean Baker in Carlsbad. He's an artist. His gift is to tell a story. It's to bring smiles. As I found in my life, when you tell your story, it's quite liberating to move beyond your past. Some of us draw pictures. Some of us pick up seashells and sell them on the beach. Others, like myself, 
Connect better with people through our weaknesses, not our strengths. Don't keep your story to yourself and allow it to eat away at you. Instead, I ask you, I challenge you, consider how your experience can benefit somebody else. Your story may be just what it takes to help someone in your circle or in our community to get through a tipping point moment, an instance where that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or when that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. You've heard how Chance Kelly is in Hollywood. He's also in Westchester. My uncle, Dr. Steve Plantle, many years ago, after complaining that I hadn't had time, he said, Dustin, I've always found one minute in my day to do the things I really want to do. And that, for me, is the challenge for all of us. When you find that free minute, when you find that time, who are you going to give it to? What will your legacy be? Chance Kelly has a legacy. It is one that will span beyond this lifetime into the next. He will be remembered for his movies, but more importantly, he'll be remembered for creating leaders, not followers. Your story may be just what it takes to help someone in your circle or someone like your neighbor. Please subscribe to our show. Visit lifestough.com. That's L-I-F-E-S-T-O-U-G-H.com. And be sure to join us every week, same time, same place, for stimulating hour of a heartfelt discussion. I'd like to thank my guest today, my special guest. Olga, would you like to say some final words? Yeah, definitely. I want to thank Chance for sharing his experiences with us here today, that we truly appreciate you as a part of this community, sharing your struggles and how you overcame them to not only create success in your life, but to become a person full of strength and resilience, leading others to on that same path. As well for myself. Um, thank you so much, Dustin, for having me on, Olga. I really appreciate it. This was really amazing. It was a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. I enjoy this. I do it all the time, but I really enjoyed having an opportunity to be on with you all. And you're right. um, We have to figure out ways to continuously make ourselves just tougher. You know, those times when sometimes we feel like we don't have it in us to do it, but we have to put it in that next gear. So for your listeners and for everybody around the world, just keep pushing. You know, don't give up. Thank you very much, Warren. Yes, indeed. Remember, everyone has a story. Your story may be the basis for a blockbuster movie, or it may be a Showtime special, or even a Netflix documentary. To the people who live it, their story can seem just as painful as ones that they've seen on TV. The point is, what are you going to do with it? Where are you going to find the fuel to keep going? I ask you to look inside. Find that strength. Find that fuel. Life's tough. You can be tougher. Finally, I'd like to thank the POI Institute, located in beautiful Cabo St. Lucas in Mexico on the Baja California Peninsula. If you're struggling with addiction, anxiety, depression, or PTSD, take the first step on your road to recovery. You see, the challenge is you must get to a place where you're tired of being tired. You finally stand up and fight back. I ask you right now, are there things you've locked inside? Are there things deep inside of you where you need to talk to somebody? Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. 
This past week for me has been eye-opening. I got to see my father, Robbie Roper, which could be his final days. You struggle with addiction. You struggle with fear. I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with depression. I shared last week what happens when you've gotten to a place where you don't have a strong foundation. I encourage you, as we talked about last week, to find the Pastor Eds. I encourage the women listeners. If you have not been on lifestuff.com, Dr. Olga Heron has put out an amazing article, and I'd like her to quickly tell us about it. Yes, so I wrote an article that is a whole life perspective on women's health and how statistics are showing that women are not directly addressing sources of stress and health issues to avoid placing burden on others as part of their social roles in our culture. As lifestyle habits are being shown in research to be the most significant predictors of health outcomes, the rising figures of women being impacted by chronic conditions highlights the need for women to prioritize self-care and healthy habits. So we hope you read and really gain something from that article. I actually wrote something today. You mind if I share it, Dustin? Please go ahead. Awesome. Uh, To think that we all have chapters of our personal story we have still yet to share with those we consider friends, family, or loved ones has led me to believe more of us live our lives with a question mark on what is the meaning of love. What is love? Is it safety? Is it tranquility? Does it hurt? Should it leave a scar? Could this be what many people wrestle with? trying to figure out if love is linked to happiness or trauma. No matter, no matter one's experience thus far that has led to the million-dollar question on what is love, each and every one of us has love to give and the desire to receive it in return. Let's get back to treating one another the way we want to be treated and see what the outcome brings. We must admit we have given hate enough of our time and energy. Beautiful. Definitely. You know, they say that a mind that lives in the past builds a prison around itself and locks it within. Many of us walk through our lives in prison. We hold on to things that hold us down and hold us back. Fear, well, Chance said, there was a time in my life where I didn't feel confident. That confidence, though, it, when you step out, when you take a risk, look what can happen in your life. It starts with a frame of mind that life's tough, I can be tougher. And let me also mention, there are lots of great organizations out there doing wonderful things for the kids in our communities. They deserve our support. Casa de Ampara and San Diego County, California for one. And the nonprofit that Chance Kelly started, the Legend Sports Club out of Westchester County in New York. Look them up online and see what you can do. Or get in touch with us and we'll give you their contact. Thanks for listening and have a great week. 